Welcome to the Shepherd's Voice with Pastor Johnny Awanyo. This simple, scripturally sound preaching and teaching of the Word of God will direct you to Jesus, the Good Shepherd. Follow the Shepherd's Voice into the green pastures that God has purposed for you. There, you'll find rest for your soul and the fulfilled Christian experience you crave. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. Lift up your hands to the Lord. Falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever, ever done. Sing it again with me, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love, falling in love with Jesus, falling in love with Jesus is the best thing I've ever in his arms I feel protected In his arms, oh yes I feel protected, oh yeah In his arms Never disconnected In his arms I feel protected there is no place I'd rather, rather be. Lift your hands to him and sing. In his arms I feel protected. In his arms, oh yeah. I feel protected, oh yeah. In his arms, never, never disconnected. Oh, in his arms, oh yeah. I feel there is no place I'd rather, rather be. One more time, falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love. With Jesus is the best thing I've ever, ever done. We bless you, Lord, tonight. We thank you that we know you. And we thank you that knowing you gave us an opportunity to fall in love with you. Why do we love you? It is because you first loved us. And you demonstrated love so divine. Love so amazing. Love beyond human comprehension. Nobody has ever loved us like you have. And the only appropriate response we can give to your love is to love you in return. This evening we are blessed to be here. We are privileged to be here. We don't take it for granted. And as we continue our quest to know you more and to love you deeper, I pray that you speak to us as you always have and grant unto us understanding, grant unto us revelations of you and who you are and of your plans, your purposes, and your will concerning our lives. I thank you, Father, tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. amen. 
Give Jesus a mighty hand clap, my friends. God bless you and you may be seated. It's good to see all of you. And tonight, I want to pick up from where I left off last week, Wednesday, in my teaching, and that's what it is, my teaching about discipleship. Hallelujah. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20. It says, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this I am with you always even to the end of the age hallelujah discipleship in the Christian sense is the, is the process of making someone a disciple of Jesus Christ hallelujah so that's a simple definition of what discipleship is about. It is the process of making someone a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now that process involves that person following the teachings, the life, and the mission of Christ until he or she becomes like Christ Jesus himself. Amen. So, that process of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, it will require that you follow the teachings, you follow the life, and the life in this case has to do a lot with the things that he did. Because Jesus taught a lot of things, and he also did a lot of things. And you get a better understanding of who he is and what his mission or purpose was when you follow the things he taught and the things that he did. So in becoming a disciple, it is required that you follow the teachings, the life, and the mission of Christ until you become like Christ the master himself. That is what apprenticeship is about. When you go and attach yourself to a saloon, hairdressing saloon, or a restaurant, you go and work there. What the objective really is is to learn as much as you can from the person that you are working with. And if you are thinking correctly, you would want to follow what the person says, everything the person teaches you, and not just that, but you follow what the person does. You copy the person. You emulate the person. And you try and understand what the person is trying to achieve. That is what apprenticeship is about. And at the end of it all, the objective is that you become like that person. So if you've gone to learn how to sue, it must be your goal that I must be like my master or my mistress. Such that when people see my work, they should be able to tell that I trained with this person. So behind discipleship is that intention or objective to become like Jesus the master himself. 
Now, if that is what it is, then what it should suggest to all of us is that discipleship is a lifetime process. It's not something that you just do up to a certain point and that is it. It is not like you've gone to learn metal works with your master. Um, 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 Efo, Efo Prosper. Who has a metal works shop at Bechele. Where you get to a point when you tell your master that I want you to close me. And it says, I Juma. Close me. So when people go to such places to learn, you know, some handiwork, they are expecting that after a while they will be closed. But you cannot be closed as a disciple. It is a lifetime quest, it's a lifetime goal. And don't think that because of the definition that I gave, you know, last week that, you know, a disciple must become like the master. It means that you get to a point where you are so much like Jesus Christ that you don't need to be a disciple again. My friend, where did you train? You cannot, you cannot get to that point and say that the fullness of Christ is in you. It is not in you at all. So you are a disciple for life. Lift up your hand and say, I am a disciple for life. Say it again. I am a disciple for life. Hallelujah. And so as we follow Christ, his teachings, his life, and his mission, the aim is that we'll become like him and we should get closer and closer to the fullness of the measure of the stature of Christ. And I'm stressing again that this is something you do for the rest of your life. Which means that there's a certain humility that we must maintain all through our Christian work and experience. Even if God elevates you, even, God, even if God places you on a high pedestal, even when you have a very large church with thousands of members, even when you have branches in every country in the world, there's a certain humility that you must maintain. And you must watch out against a certain pride and arrogance that can easily creep in and make you feel that you are something that you are not. Because unfortunately, with us pastors, when God begins to use us in a profound way, we tend to think that we are something that we are not. And we become larger than life itself. I'm sure you've heard me say these things before. And I say them because I've, I've done ministry for a very long time and I've seen a lot of things. And I see it playing out over and over again. And even the way we talk begins to change. When we talk, we don't acknowledge the grace of God. We don't. And for me, one of the greatest errors that occurs is where we begin to set ourselves up before our people as examples that they must follow. For me, it's a very dangerous trend. It is not necessarily wrong, but it is dangerous. Because if the people that you're setting this example of yourself for are not deep, a time will come, you will become like God to them. And what you say, what you do, will carry more weight than what even Jesus himself, the master, has said. It's a very, very dangerous trend. So there's a certain humility that we must always maintain, no matter the height or the level that God lifts us up to. Can I have an amen from somebody? Amen. Hallelujah. Now, to understand discipleship is to understand who a disciple is. And I told you last week that the word disciple in your English Bible was translated from a Greek word, mathetis, which means a learner or a student or a follower. So that's the idea behind the disciple. He's a learner. He's a student. He's a follower. 
And so when Jesus in Mark chapter 1 spoke to Peter and his brother Andrew and to James and John and said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What in essence he was saying to them was that I want you to become my disciples. That's what it is. So following, becoming a follower, a learner, a student is what discipleship is all about. So now we need to if we are going to understand discipleship well, we need to understand who a disciple really is and what a disciple is supposed to do. So, a disciple is somebody who has received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and has pledged his or her life and devotion to him. Amen? That is how it begins. You accept Jesus. You receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. And you pledge your life. And you devote your life to him. That is the beginning. That is the starting point. A disciple, number two, is somebody who sets out as a lifetime goal. And you, you can... I'm mentioning this lifetime thing again. So he's somebody who sets out as a lifetime goal. To follow Jesus completely, not half and half, not a honeyho, but to follow him completely and to pay the price to become like him. That's who a disciple is. A disciple is someone who sets out as a lifetime goal to follow Jesus completely and to pay the price to become like him. And there is a price to pay. Everybody say there's a price to pay. To become a follower of Jesus. To become a disciple of Jesus. And I will go into the price that has to be paid. No, don't say that. Ah. <laughs> I didn't ask you to repeat that one. You see, you are not paying attention. You are forgiving. Number three, a disciple is someone whose life is centered around Jesus Christ. Did you have that? Hey! A disciple is someone whose life is centered around Jesus Christ. To love him. To obey his commandments. And to carry out his mission. A disciple is someone whose life is centered around Jesus Christ. His life is centered around who? Jesus Christ. That's why we sing songs like, At the center of it all, It's you that I see. It's you that I see. Then we sing another song. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. Oh yeah, from beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus, Jesus. So that's what it is. A disciple is someone whose life is centered around Jesus Christ. That means Jesus is the focus of his life. And the focus is to love him. To obey his commandments and to carry out his mission. Amen. Amen. Then I mentioned to you last week that to become a Christian is to actually become a disciple. Which means that being a Christian and being a disciple are not mutually exclusive. It's one and the same thing. Amen. Amen. It is we who have created a distinction between Christians and disciples. So when you're a little hot for God, no, we say you're a disciple. <laughs> but when you are very casual, nominal, we can't see your ways clearly. But because you have come forward to pray the sinner's prayer, we say that you're a Christian. It's an error. That becoming a Christian 
and becoming a disciple are the same things. It's one and the same. And when you become a Christian, you are expected to become a disciple. Which means that discipleship is not something for just a few people. Discipleship is for everyone who receives Jesus as Lord and Savior. Hallelujah. And that is what the Great Commission is about. The, you know the first scripture that we read in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Notice that in this Great Commission entrusted to the believers, to the church, Jesus said, Go! And make disciples of all the nations. When you ask the average Christian what the great commission is, he'll tell you winning souls. It is not wrong. But that is not the whole picture. It is win the souls... And disciple them. That's what the Great Commission is. And the Church of Christ has specialized in winning the souls and displaying them as trophies, giving an impression that the work is done when the work is not done. Because the great commission is only fulfilled when we make disciples of the souls that we have won. And in our churches all across the world, the souls have been won, but we have not made disciples. We haven't. And this church inclusive. And one of the reasons for teaching this is to draw our attention to the fact that we've been called to be disciples. Not just nominal Christians who just come and go. I mean, we don't see. As I go on, you will understand what it means to be a disciple. And you will see that most of us are far from that. Now, you see, this is something that should be cause for great concern for all of us. Because it may actually be affecting our place in heaven. Because this whole thing, Jesus came, came to sacrifice himself. The objective is to make disciples. And when he said that I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am you will come also. He was saying it to disciples. <laughs> I know that I'm disturbing you with what I'm saying. But that is the truth. That is the truth. It's a call to be disciples. And the great commission is about making disciples. And disciples and Christians are one and the same. That is why if you check in the New Testament of the Bible, the word disciples, you find there 269 times. But the word Christian or Christians, you find it only three. Only I hear. Say it like the way I'm saying it, Trey. <laughs> but disciples, you find 269 times. And that's what they were called in those times. The followers of Jesus, you know, uh, 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 the believers, brothers and sisters, those of the way, saints, all of them were called disciples. So we must get this into our spirits. That we have been saved to become disciples. Hallelujah. So now, let's come to the main thrust of what I have to share with you today. What does discipleship require? What does discipleship require? Or what does discipleship entail? What is the process you must follow to become a disciple. Luke chapter 14. 
verse 25 to 33. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Luke 14, verse 25. A large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Who is the everyone else? Your father and mother, your wife, including husbands and children, brothers and sisters. Then he says, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. You cannot. Where is that man? We used to have a minister who used to say, cannot, cannot. He's disappeared from the scene. I'm sure he has some powerful position as the board chairman somewhere. <laughs> and he's very happy with it. You cannot be my disciple. Next verse. And if you do not carry your own cross, carry your DNA, your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. 28. But don't begin until you count the cost. For who will begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money. <laughs> only foundation. Oh, Where are you in a rush to? I haven't finished saying what I'm saying. And then everyone would laugh at you. When you set out to build a house, may you finish it by the grace of God. Nobody will ever laugh at you. You have laughed at some people before, but by the grace of God, nobody will laugh at you. Verse 30, they would say, there, there's the person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. But I'm just wondering, why are you laughing at somebody who couldn't finish the building? Don't want to visit your matter. Where is your own? If somebody is doing something that you have not been able to do some, you must never laugh at the person. Because the person is far advanced than you. At least he can show a foundation. You, what can you show? Please. <laughs> Verse 31. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? 32. And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. I don't know whether Ukraine... Whether Russia felt that Ukraine should have come for a discussion. Maybe they tried. But the way Putin is stubborn. I'm sure he didn't want to agree to anything. Or maybe the terms that he, 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 he offered were not reasonable. So that's why we have a Russia-Ukraine war today. Which is the excuse that many nations in the world are giving. To explain why they are a communist um, economies are not doing well. Verse 33, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. This scripture is loaded and it is revealing to us 
what discipleship requires and what discipleship entails. Number one, discipleship requires that you count the cost. The cost of what? The rice and the sugar? No. The cost of discipleship. So discipleship, the first thing I want to draw your attention to is that discipleship requires that you count the cost of discipleship. Is that not what Jesus said in verse 28? He says, but don't begin until you do what? Oh, I didn't hear you. Until you do what? Count the cost. Count the cost. For who will begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? That is what discipleship requires. You must count the cost. You must count the cost. Today, a gentleman came to see me. He he lives in the area. And he wants to connect Ghana water to his house. And by the grace of God, we have Ghana water flowing here. It was through much tribulation that we were able to get it. And now, others want to tap. And it is the right thing. Because others would also have to enjoy. I mean, why would I be excited that I'm the only person who has water in the area? Not at all. It doesn't make sense to me. Others should also have water. But this gentleman is very much aware that if somebody has gone to bring the water (laughs) before you come to connect... You must go and see the person and then ask, is there anything that I need to do to tap into your line? Because that's what I did in getting the water to this place. And he came to see me this afternoon and he said, The gentleman who will be doing the connection for me has given me a bill. But I don't want to, that is the cost for the pipes and the labor. Because you have to buy the pipes, then you have to dig, you have to do the connection, you have to get a a meter and all of those things. So he said that the gentleman who is working this out has given me a bill. But I don't want to start anything until I'm sure that that is it. That there's nothing else. Now, the essence of what he came here this afternoon to do was that he was counting the cost. And he said clearly that I don't want to jump into it when I don't know what it would entail. That is what counting the cost is about. And to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, Probably the first step that you must take is to count the cost. What does it mean to count the cost? Number one, assess yourself whether you have what it takes to achieve your objective. Where the objective is to become a disciple. Assess yourself whether you have what it takes to achieve the objective. So, there's something you are setting out to do. And that's why Jesus gave this example of somebody who is setting out to put up a building. You have to count the cost. It means you have to assess yourself. Do I have what it takes to start this project and to finish it? Because the objective is I want to build a house and move into my house. I don't want to be a tenant forever. Me too. I want somebody to call me a fiora one day. That's the objective. I want to build a house. But before you do that, you got to count the cost. Do I have what it takes 
to achieve that objective. That's what it means to count the cost. To count the cost also means recognize and accept that what lies ahead is not going to be easy. Understand that we are talking about counting the cost from the perspective that Jesus was talking about. So counting the cost means to recognize and accept that what lies ahead is not going to be easy. That is the implication of all the things that Jesus said. And you see, it's interesting to me that, you know, the scripture says that a lot of people were following Jesus and he turned to them. You, you, in, in scripture, it looks as if Jesus was always trying to discourage people from following him. <laughs> you, you, you kind of get that feeling. One day there were a lot of people were following him and they were following him and he knew that the reason why they were following him was because of bread and fish. Because he had taken them to a restaurant some time ago and had fed 5,000 men, excluding the women and children. If you include the women and children, then probably you are talking about more than 12,000 people. Even you and your beloved, it's a problem. <laughs> can't take her anywhere to buy two spring rolls to that thing, triangular thing that they do is it samosa? yeah, you can't buy two spring rolls two samosa and one fanta if you are with somebody who can take you to buy two spring rolls and two samosas Tell him that his days are numbered. <laughs> you have to try. Yeah, you have to try. I know that inside hard, but try. Or we should reduce the quantity. No, but how can you take somebody and go and buy one spring roll and one samosa? Please. If you do that, you are disgracing yourself. At least two spring rolls and then two samosa. And then one Fanta. What's that? Add kebab. Hey! <laughs> Jesus took more than 12,000 people, I suppose, to dinner. And they ate and were full. From that day, they couldn't stop dreaming of the next time he'll take them to the restaurant. So when they heard that he was in town again, they said, Afa. <laughs> so they came to him, running from all over. Oh, correct, sir. Thank you, sir. I salute you, sir. We are loyal, sir. <laughs> and Jesus saw them. He said, Really? I know why you have come. <laughs> it's because of something you want to eat. And said, today I prepared a special meal for you. You want to eat? He said, oh, master, don't say it like that. If, if you say it like that, it's a bit some way. Uh, don't say, but yes, it is true. And he said that today, what is on the menu is my flesh and my blood. Eat me. They were bored. That day they were very, very angry. And so they said that, ah, small <laughs> bread and fish that we have come to eat. Look at the way you are insulting us. You are calling us cannibals. You give us your flesh and your blood. I mean, how insulting can you be? And from that day, a lot of people stopped following him. And it seems to me that Jesus was not and never tried to sugarcoat anything. He said it as it was. And a lot of people were following him. And this is what he said. It was as though he was trying to discourage them from following him. But really, the essence of what he said to them is that recognize and accept that what lies ahead is not going to be easy. That's what it means to count the cost. Number three, to count the cost means recognize and accept the fact that you are going to meet difficult situations and circumstances. Difficult situations and circumstances. 
recognize and accept the fact that you're going to meet difficult situations and circumstances. So you must psych yourself for them. And this is what we don't tell the new converts. We don't, we don't tell them that. We tell them things that will make them happy and excited to come. And we feel that if we tell them some of these hard things, they won't come. But what we don't realize is that that thing that we are doing is giving rise to a certain crop of Christians in our churches. Flighty, not of much substance, not well established and grounded. People who at the slightest challenge or difficulty, they fall away. Bene, Gifty, Priscilla, Evelyn, how did you come today? Pastor Isaac brought them. Okay. I know that there are times when you came by yourself. You walked. Is that not so? Yeah. But that's what it's supposed to be. That if there is no bus, I will walk to church. And it's a 15 minutes walk. Or probably less. And the truth is that when you are going to town, usually, you will walk from there to the junction, which is further than walking from there to church. But you can have a certain type of church member from Greenhouse who will have a mindset of no bus, no church. So clearly, you're dealing with somebody who's not counted the cost. So I'm explaining to you that to count the cost, which is one, the first thing that discipleship requires, means you must recognize and accept the fact that you are going to meet difficult situations and circumstances. So you must psych yourself up for them. Tell yourself that it won't be easy. Tell yourself that there will be challenges. Tell yourself that there will be situations, unpleasant situations that you meet. You have to tell yourself that that's how it's likely to be. So I must psych myself up for it. That's what it means to count the cost. And then the last one, to count the cost means to understand the costly nature of discipleship. Understand the costly nature of discipleship. You must understand it. That discipleship is costly. Understand the costly nature of discipleship. And you must make a calculated choice to follow Christ in spite of it. You must make a calculated choice to follow Christ in spite of this. In spite of what this? That the discipleship is costly. So I'll say it again. To count the cost, the last definition I'm giving you is to understand the costly nature of discipleship. And once you understand that, you must make a calculated choice to follow Christ in spite of the fact that discipleship is costly. That's what it means to count the cost. Because discipleship comes at a cost. It comes at a price. And you must understand that if you are going to count the cost, which is what discipleship requires, you must understand the costly nature of discipleship and you must make a calculated choice. You must choose and whatever choice you are making, if your choice is to be a disciple, it must be a calculated choice. That this thing that I'm doing, it, will cost me, it may cost me this, it may cost me that, it may cost me that. 
So although it is costly, although discipleship is costly, you must make a calculated choice to become a disciple in spite of the cost of it. That's what it means to count the cost. Are you understanding what I'm explaining to you? So that is the first thing that discipleship requires that we will count the cost. And when you look at the first definition or explanation of what Jesus meant when he said count the cost, I said assess yourself whether you have what it takes to achieve the set objective. And the truth. And the truth. And if we'll be honest and sincere with ourselves, if you assess yourself, you discover that you don't have what it takes. By yourself, you can't make it. Don't be, don't be cocky. <laughs> don't be too sure of yourself. Because the truth is by yourself and by your own energy and by your own strength, you cannot make it. Let me show you some scriptures to prove that. Then we will close. Look at Psalm 127 verse 1. From the New King James Version. Psalms 127 verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house... They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. What is this scripture saying? That whatever you're trying to achieve or accomplish, if God is not inside, or if God is not the one pushing it or driving it, it won't work. Whatever you are trying to protect, if God himself is not protecting that thing, you can do whatever you want to do. You will still be exposed. So it is showing that there is a God element that is vital to anything and everything that we are trying to do. And we need to get to the point of acknowledging that we cannot become disciples by ourselves, by our own effort, by our own energy. We will not survive because the discipleship thing, it is costly. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 to 13. New Living Translation. Philippians, Philippians 2, 12 to 13. It says, Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Now, take note of what he says to them. Work hard. Do what? Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. Work hard. But it doesn't just end there. He ends with a very important statement. For God is working in you. God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. What it means is that if God is not working in you to stir up a certain desire and to put some strength inside of you to do certain things, you will never be able to do it, although you are working hard. So he didn't just let it rest at work hard. He goes beyond that. To point out to them that God is actually, I'm asking you to work hard. But that's not all there is to it. For God, for God is working in you. Giving you the desire, even the desire to do certain things. And the power to do certain things. They come from God. They come from God. And that is why we must always acknowledge our need for him. Which is why Jesus said that without me, you can do nothing. That's why I'm always amazed at people who sound so sure of themselves. (laughs) And are not quick to acknowledge the role of the grace of God and of the mercy of God in anything that they are doing. It amazes me. 
when they stand and speak arrogantly of what they have done, of what they can do, of what they cannot do. And they don't acknowledge that I am what I am by the grace of God. It always amazes me when I see them, when I hear them, when I listen to them. And I must tell you this, one of the things that I find very repulsive now is people who like to use themselves as examples of good things. <laughs> so, so it's like, because I do this, or because I can do this, it means that you should, you should be following me. Do you understand what I'm explaining to you? Yes. So they're always using themselves as examples. It's like I pray so many hours. I fast so long. I don't do this. I don't do that and all of that. But who maketh thee to differ from another? And what do you have that you have not received? And if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou didst not receive it? First Corinthians chapter 4 verse 7. King James Version. <laughs> give me King James. Give me King James. I like that. For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? <laughs> so Paul is explaining to the believers in Philippi that I'm asking you to work hard. Ensure that you keep your salvation. Ensure that you keep on course. But he doesn't just leave it at that. He says that for it is God who is at work in you. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. And he's trying to make it crystal clear to them. That although I'm asking you to work hard. Me now I know. That God has to be the one fueling every effort that you are putting in. To achieve that thing. I'm telling you. telling you that we cannot please God in a certain way and we cannot, you know, become the disciples that he wants us to become if he doesn't help us. And that's why in Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And he also doesn't leave it there. He continues and says, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That means I'll be helping you. He said, teach them, teach these new disciples to obey the commands I've given you. But he now, he knew that it's not easy to obey the commands. So now he goes a step further to give an assurance. And he says, and be sure of this, which means be assured of this, that I am with you always even to the end of the age. That means that I'll be there. I'll be with you. I'll be helping you. I'll be holding you up. And he knows that there will be times we will falter. He knows that there will be times that we will slip. But he's assuring us that I will be there with you to hold you up, to help you, to assist you, because I want you to make it. I want you to survive. It's like when a, a parent, you are, you, are, you are trying to get your child to walk. As the child is learning to walk, you fall. And you cry. But you, the parent, are there. When he falls, to hold him up. Tell him, it's okay, I'll beat the floor for you. Don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. I'll beat the floor for you. Then you hold him, he's taking his step, he's taking, then you leave him. Then you go, ah, then he starts doing two known. 
when you leave him, he's trying to run. When you haven't even finished learning how to walk, you fall again. Like, ah! Yeah, I said, oh, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. That's it. Like that, uh, eventually, they just start walking. And that's what God does with us. That's why he's assuring us, I will never leave you. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Then in Philippians 4, 13, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. That means that if Christ doesn't give me strength, I cannot do it. Then the last scripture for the day, Acts chapter 1, verse 4 to 5. Once, Acts 1, 4 to 5, once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, Jesus, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, Jesus gave a very serious and strong instruction to the believers and the disciples at that time that I have given you work to do, but don't make the mistake of just launching out into the work. You need help. Wait till you have received the gift that I told you about. And that gift was referring to the Holy Spirit, who is also called the helper. So in essence, he was saying to them that this assignment that I've given you to do, to go out, make disciples and all of that, you cannot do it without help. You cannot even, you know, obey my instruction, carry out my directives if you don't have help. And that's what the Holy Spirit is about. He's our helper. He comes to help us. And I'm saying to you that to become a disciple, discipleship requires that we count the cost. And it starts with assessing yourself whether this thing, you can actually do it. And I'm saying to you that if you assess yourself honestly, you'll discover that by myself, I won't be able to do it. But the good news is that the God who has called us to this kind of life has not left us alone. He is with us. His spirit is with us. His grace is upon us. His mercy is with us. And he's bent on helping us and strengthening us until we become everything that he wants us to become. Discipleship is costly. It is very expensive. And the truth is, it is frightening. That's why a lot of people don't want to start at all. But the good news is that it is God who is at work in us, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Rise to your feet and let us close. Let us pray, family. Thank you, Father, in the name of Jesus for today. And we are grateful to you for your word. And what you have exposed to us about discipleship. And now I pray in the name of Jesus and ask for your help. There's so much that we can see that you want us to do. And there's a way you want us to follow you and be truly your disciples. But we are admitting our need for you. And we are admitting before you that we can't do it by ourselves. We've tried many times. We've faulted. We've made mistakes. We've gotten it all wrong. There are times we've even been discouraged and we've concluded that certain things will never work in our lives. But we can do all things through you who strengthens us. And I pray, Father, that you strengthen us. And from this understanding we've received of what it means to be a disciple, I pray, oh God, that help from above will be released upon us through your Holy Spirit. And that will begin to march on to achieve the goal and the purpose for which you called us and you saved us. Thank you, Father, tonight in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. Give Jesus a mighty hand clap, my friends.
Thank you for listening to the Shepherd's Voice with Pastor Johnny Awanyo. We do hope that you were greatly blessed. For further inquiries, please call, WhatsApp, or send an SMS text to plus 233-243-886-622. God bless you.